Good morning, church. It is good to see y'all this morning. Happy Easter to you. My name is Scott Gilliland. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Lover's Lane, and along with Reagan, we're the co-pastors of this worship community that we call Thrive. And for the third time this morning, I want you to hear that we are just glad that you're with us today. A special greeting to those who are with us for the first time or the first time in a long time. We're glad that you're here as well this Easter Sunday. Uh, and those who are here for the first time, be sure to fill out a connect card if you would like to connect with us. Uh, that way we can uh, spam your email inbox as much as humanly possible. No. Um, that way we can just keep you in connection with us, let you know about the life of the church, and, uh, and hopefully uh, allow you to help find a, a home here, spiritual home at Lover's Lane. And if you get nothing else out of this morning, I hope that you experience our mission statement in word and action that we are all about loving all people into relationship with Jesus Christ. It is Easter morning. Uh, I bet you can guess what kind of scripture we're going to be reading today. And there's a lot in the Gospel of Luke and the way that he chooses to tell the empty tomb story, the Easter morning story. And so we're just going to get straight into it. Uh, before we read scripture here in Thrive, we always pray. We believe that scripture is a living word and that when we invite the Holy Spirit to be a part of scripture reading, it brings that text alive and it allows it to speak to us in a new way. And so let's pray uh, and invite the Holy Spirit to be a part of our time together. Gracious God, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for this day in particular this Easter morning, this day that comes around every year, a day that's anything but ordinary, a day that's not really about getting dressed up or going to brunch or taking a good nap after a big meal, whatever it is we have planned for today, God, allow that to be a race from our minds and allow us to once again remember that this day is about you and it's about your son and it's about your spirit. And the gift of resurrection that we are reminded of year after year. So God, as we prepare to hear a story that I'm sure we have heard so many times before, God, I would ask that you would allow our hearts and our minds and our souls to hear this story with brand new ears. That the words that we see on the screens or on the pages of our Bibles would leap off into our hearts. That they might change the way that we live. All of this we pray in the name of your holy and precious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. We are looking at Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 1, and you should see these words on your screen. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, the women went to the tomb, bringing the fragrant spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. They didn't know what to make of this. Suddenly, two men were standing beside them in gleaming bright clothing. Or if you read the, the Greek word there in its literal translation is like lightning. They were clothed in lightning. Kids, imagine you're in a dark tomb and all of a sudden lightning flashes. Guess what they felt? Frightened. The women were frightened and bowed their faces toward the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He isn't here, but has been raised. Remember what he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the human one must be handed over to sinners, be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words. When they returned from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and all the others. It was Mary Magdalene. 
Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Their words struck the apostles as nonsense, and they didn't believe the women. But Peter ran to the tomb. He, when he bent over to look inside, he saw only the linen cloth. Then he returned home wondering what had happened. The word of God for the people of God, let us say, thanks be to God. Amen. Have you ever had a moment in your life that is a redefining moment? A moment when it made you rethink everything you thought you knew about your life up to that point. Maybe it was a really good moment. Maybe it was a really bad moment. When I think about my own life, I think about the moment when I left my parents' house for the first time and had to find the local laundromat. That's a redefining moment. Or I think about when uh, Reagan and I went on our first date together and we both told each other we loved each other and probably needed to get married. I don't recommend that, by the way. It worked out for us really well. If my daughter ever pulls that stunt, I will not be pleased. Um, Just so you know this, Andy, when you watch this sermon 20 years from now, I don't know why you would, but no. I think about when uh, Reagan and I were wandering through infertility and we wondered what our life was going to look like moving forward. And then I think about when we found out Andy was coming. And, you know, there's, there's these moments that redefine our lives. And then I want you to take whatever moment or moments you're thinking of, I want you to magnify them by like a hundred billion. And that's the kind of moment that the women at the empty tomb are having. And it's all centered around this question that these angels that are clothed in lightning, these angels ask them this question and then they make this statement and everything they think they know about life and faith changes in an instant. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has been raised. Make no mistake. Easter morning changes everything. The empty tomb changes everything. This is the moment when our faiths and our lives We have to rethink everything we think we know. And today I want to talk about a few ways that I see this Easter story that Luke has to share. How it makes me rethink my faith and how it ought to impact the faiths of all of us this Easter morning. First thing I want to say, Christianity is not about punching a ticket to heaven. Christianity is not about punching a ticket to heaven. I don't know why you came to church this morning, but if you were coming to church this morning because you think that there is some sort of heavenly checklist that St. Peter is keeping at the pearly gates, and if you don't get enough check marks on your checklist, then you might not gain entrance, and that's the reason you're here this morning. I want you to put that out of your mind. That might be the reason you showed up, but I hope it's not the reason you stay. Christianity, the Christian faith, was never supposed to be about punching our ticket to heaven, and yet that is one of the most misunderstood parts of our faith, I think, that I I hear as a pastor. I hear people that spend so much time worrying about whether or not at the end of their life, one day, they might be able to gain eternal life and entrance into heaven. Have you ever made this mistake? I have. This is how I've thought about my faith for a long time. 
I thought that I was supposed to be a good Christian and do the things Jesus told me to so that one day, maybe if I was really good and I, was, and, and, and I, I walked a straight enough line, that one day I could enjoy eternal life and I could enter into heaven. Has anybody else ever made the mistake of thinking that way about your faith? Say amen. Good. There's a handful of honest people in the room. Good, 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 good. One of my favorite pastors and authors is a pastor named Nadia Boltz-Weber. She is a pastor in Denver, Colorado. And she wrote a book called Pastrix, which is a really, really good book. And if you're someone who you like to challenge your faith, if you like to ask the difficult questions, this is a pastor and an author who asks the really hard questions about faith. And she's got an amazing story. Um, and in this book, Pastrix, she says something that, that stuck with me. And it, it, I thought of it this week as I was writing this sermon. She says this, the Christian faith, while wildly misrepresented in so much of American culture, is really about death and resurrection. It's really about death and resurrection. It's about how God continues to reach into the graves we dig for ourselves and pull us out, giving us new life in ways both dramatic and small. She's a good writer. She says that the Christian faith ultimately is really about death and resurrection. So I, I said earlier that we make this, we have this misunderstanding that one day maybe we get to enjoy eternal life and, and get to heaven if we're good enough. But, but people, the Easter morning story, the empty tomb image, what it makes clear to us is that the resurrection is not something we get to hope for one day. Eternal life isn't something that we work towards one day. Heaven isn't something that we hope to get into one day. All of those things are crashing in here and now. They're crashing in here and now. Remember the story of Lazarus? When Jesus' friend dies, and, and, and guess what? He lays dead for three days. And Jesus comes on the third day, and he raises him back to life. And he tells the women who are also there, he says, something really powerful that shouldn't be missed. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Why is this important? Because the women at the empty tomb, they, they had this belief about resurrection, but they thought that it was way down the road. First century Judaism actually believed, many people in the Jewish faith in the first century believed in the resurrection. That wasn't unique to the Christian faith. But they thought that resurrection was this thing that you could get one day. They thought that eternal life was this thing that if you were good enough and you checked enough boxes off that you could get one day. And they really, that's why they cared so much about uh, honoring deceased bodies. These women come to the empty tomb the day after the Sabbath. As soon as they can, as soon as morning breaks, as soon as they're allowed to get back to work, they bring these fragrances and these spices and these oils because they want to honor this, this body of their friend and, and the, this prophet and this person that they totally misunderstood because they're hoping one day, you know, this man who lived a great life, maybe he could enjoy the resurrection. When God's glory is revealed, maybe one day he could enjoy the resurrection and he could live an eternal life as well. And they find an empty tomb. And what the empty tomb means for them and what it means for us is that resurrection is not something we have to wait for. It's here and now. Jesus tried to explain that when he was alive with Lazarus, and they didn't understand him. But church, let us understand this today. You don't have to wait to live an eternal life. In fact, those of us who are baptized children of God, guess what? You're already living it. Did you know that? You're already entered into your eternal life. That starts the moment that we find faith in Jesus. 
And here's the deal about heaven. Somehow we got it into our brains that heaven is this place that we hope we go to one day, and that's the purpose of heaven. No. That's not how the story ends. Heaven is the kingdom of God, and God's goal, God's plan, the whole purpose of all of this that we're doing is to pull heaven a little bit closer until finally it is here on earth. And when we encounter the empty tomb, not only do we realize that we get to live as resurrected people, but now we're resurrected people who are heaven pullers. Did you know you're a heaven puller? You've been skipping arm day, right? We are heaven pullers. Heaven is not this place that we hope we get into one day. It's this place we try to bring to earth today. We get to share in that work of God. The Christian faith is not about waiting for eternal life. It's about living as resurrected people today. See, some of us are still wrapped up in living the life that, that we think we're supposed to be a slave to right now. Some of us are stuck going to a tomb where we think there's this stink and there's this death inside. I don't know what your tomb looks like. I know what mine looks like. I know my hang-ups and my hurts and my habits that keep me from living the best resurrected life. And maybe what you need to hear this Easter is that you're like the women going to the empty tomb and you think your life is about covering up as much of the stink of death as you possibly can. And that's exhausting work, right? And you get to the empty tomb, and guess what? It's empty. You get the tomb, and, and what you think is going to be full of stench and death is, is empty. And instead, there's this voice of God clothed in lightning that's saying, Why do you keep looking for the living among the dead? You are resurrected. He's not here, He has been raised. This resurrected life is for you as well. Let's get to work. All right, we got to keep moving. I mean, Easter messages, I get worked up, so we got to keep moving. Here's the second thing I want to say. Easter is not just about remembering a story, and it's a good story. Easter is not just about remembering a story. When they say, he's not here, he has been raised, and they said, remember what he taught you, right? And all of a sudden, the women realize all these things that he'd been saying that were kind of confusing, it all made sense because the resurrection's real. But the, re but the Easter message is not simply about remembering a story. Because as soon as they remember they, the story, they go and they do something. We're going to talk about that doing something in just a second. But let's stay here on the story bit. I believe the Bible is the greatest story ever told. Otherwise, I'd be in the wrong line of work, right? I believe the Bible is the greatest story ever told. I think the story of God's unimaginable love for God's creation and God's people expressed through the person and work of Jesus Christ. I think it's the best, most compelling story the world has ever known. But I don't think the Bible is enough. Let me say a, a little bit more about that. My daughter has a uh, favorite stuffed animal. Kids, do you have a favorite stuffed animal? Anybody? Let me, let me hear your favorite stuffed animal. Shout it out loud. Who's your favorite stuffed animal, kids? Oh, you're being way too quiet. Shout it out, kids. Y'all are so quiet this morning. Who's got a favorite stuffed animal? Say that it louder. Moana? Koala. A koala. Super cool. Not what I expected, but cool. My daughter's, I heard Moana because my daughter's favorite stuffed animal is Pua, the pig from Moana. Kids, y'all like Moana? Yeah? Um, it was 
it was Andy's very first movie she ever watched. And so when she watched it, of course, you know, I was like way too excited that she was, you know, watching movies because I love to watch movies and that's become kind of our thing together is we like to sit and, and watch a movie together. And so I got her the little stuffed animal, Pua, the pig from Moana. And I mean, she carries him around everywhere. Pua is always by her side. And, um, and Pua is great for a lot of things. He's great for bedtime snuggles. Uh, he is great for playing pretend. Um, he is great for uh, hanging out and being just sort of that safety blanket kind of figure in her life. But when Andy scrapes her knee, when she falls down and she gets a boo-boo, when she, as she would say in her words now as a three-year-old, is having a really hard day, <laughs> she doesn't call out for Pua. She calls out for mommy or for daddy. And why is that? Because we are people that she can have a relationship with, that she can sense and feel. We can hold her. We can comfort her. We can wipe the tears from her eyes. We can allow her to be mad or sad or happy or however she feels. We can share in that with her. We can teach her things. We can whisper in her ear when all she needs to hear is, baby, it's going to be okay. She can get those things from us. She can't get that from Pua. No matter how good the story of Moana is, she can't get that from a story. I love the Bible. I think it's the greatest story ever told. But when I'm having a really hard day, when I scrape my knee or I get a boo-boo or I need someone to tell me it's okay or hug me or hold me or let me cry on their shoulder, I can't necessarily just turn to this because at the end of the day, this is just a story. The purpose of the Bible is not for us to get stuck in the Bible. The whole reason the Bible exists is to point us to a relationship with Christ because Christ can hold us. Christ can comfort us. Jesus can whisper in our ear and say, it's going to be okay. And when I'm having a hard day, I can open up to Scripture and I can find some words. But if those words don't point me back to a relationship with Jesus, then ultimately all I'm doing is reading a really good book. And, and I don't know if maybe that's where your faith is at right now. Maybe your faith is stuck in just reading a really good book and it's all cerebral. And you say, Scott, I don't know what you're talking about when you mean a relationship with Jesus. And the good news is, is that you're, um, you're in a Methodist church and we have a founder called John Wesley who had this exact same story. See, John Wesley was the founder of Methodism and when he started his career, he was a failed church planter. He was from Britain. He went all the way to Georgia, right, to the new colonies, great spot to plant new churches, right? It was a booming suburb of, of, of England, right? And uh, he goes to Georgia, and he fails miserably. He's an Anglican priest. He's incredibly intelligent. He knows the Bible frontwards and backwards. He could talk to you about Jesus all day long, but he fails miserably. He goes back to Britain, licking his wounds, and he goes to this place called Aldersgate, and he's in a, a gathering of some people, and, and he has this experience where he talks about his heart being strangely warmed, like a microwave burrito. <laughs> Beautiful, right? He says his heart has been strangely warmed, and what he's saying is, it's not living up in my head anymore. It's moving down into my heart and my soul, and in that moment, he realized he had a relationship with Christ that he had never had before. 
I bet some of you have experienced this. I know I did. When I was a kid, I learned all sorts of stories. I know Andy learns incredible stories in our children's ministry. But sometime between the age of about 10 and 15, I had this experience over a series of moments when I began to be in relationship with Jesus. And let me tell you, a relationship with Jesus is infinitely better than a relationship with even the best story. Easter morning, the story of Jesus was never meant to just be remembered. The story of Jesus should always lead us to a living relationship with Jesus. Our mission here at Lover's Lane is loving all people, not into relationship with the text. And we love the Bible as much as anybody. Our mission statement is loving people into relationship with Jesus Christ. We believe in a living God. When we have communion at this altar table, we repeat the mystery of faith where we say Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. That is risen, he is not here, he has been raised. That's a really important thing that we say because it means we believe in a living God who wants a living relationship with each and every one of us. Got to keep moving, goodness gracious. Speaking of failed evangelists, let's, get, let's address the end of this scripture, right? Oh, my gosh. And trust me, it's not the evangelist's fault. We'll talk about the dudes here in just a second, all right? The third thing, last thing I want to say this morning is that Easter puts us to work. Easter puts us to work. As soon as the women remember the teachings of Jesus and they understand th- the teachings of Jesus in light of the empty tomb. The scripture does not skip a beat before they leave the empty tomb and they go and proclaim the good news to their homes and their friends and the apostles and the people that they know. They are the first evangelists of the resurrected Jesus. Did y'all catch that? They are the first evangelists of the resurrected Jesus. This is awesome because for a moment in, in, in church history, the church is this group of women. They are the church. And I know that God chose to found the church with this group of women and not the men because last night I was watching a a YouTube video about a taser ball. Have you seen this? Taser ball? I'm not making this up. Look it up. It is exactly what it sounds like. It is, a, it is a bunch of guys that made up this sport where they have this beach ball that's painted like a soccer ball, and they run around a field trying to throw it in the goal. But here's the kicker. They all have tasers. And it's exactly what you think it is. And, you know, God is omniscient, right? So God can see all things eternally. And I know that when God was looking on this resurrection Easter Sunday and said, okay, who's going to be my first evangelist? He saw taser ball in the future, and he said, it's not going to be the guys. That ain't it. Let's start with the women. They might get this right. And they do. But here's the really cool news. The work of evangelism is not just the work of the women in the empty tomb because guess where we are standing right this morning? We're standing in the empty tomb with them. And we have the same call. We have the same charge. We've been asked the same question. We've heard the same truth proclaimed by the angels. And so we are put to work by God in the same way. We are called as resurrected, baptized children, Jesus followers. We are called to evangelize. And maybe that word freaks you out. You're like, Scott, I am not called to evangelize. Because I'm, I'm guessing some of us, when we hear that word evangelism, what we immediately get a picture of is this, right? We get a picture of this. How many of us have seen an evangelist standing on a street corner with one of these in their hands? 
I've seen my share of guys on street corners, and it's always guys, isn't it? It's always guys. angry, angry guys. That's why God chose women first. And they're always yelling. And it's never nice things, right? I've never seen a street evangelist that's like, your hair looks really nice today. I've never seen an evangelist say that to anybody. I've never seen anybody say, hey, you should have a cookie for lunch. You deserve it. No. Street evangelists don't say this. The street corner guys, they love to yell at you about your sin. Or they love to tell you that you're going to hell. Or they love to say that your sin is going to send you to hell. Right? It's usually one of the combination of those two things. Their routine's a little stale. They need to, they need to update it a bit. Sometimes they throw in some talk about what God hates. Uh, newsflash, it's probably you, right? And so it's just, it totally disinterests me. Totally disinterests me. But let me say very clearly and simply, evangelism is not standing on a street corner holding a megaphone. Unless you want to tell folks their hair looks nice. Somebody should do that. I hope, please Instagram it if you do. I hope you do that. Evangelism is not standing on a street corner yelling at a megaphone. It's certainly not proclaiming death and hatred for those that you dislike. That is not evangelism. Evangelism is proclaiming, now hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. If you hear nothing else this morning, I want you to hear this. Evangelism is proclaiming in love and life through word and action in the name of Jesus Christ for a world obsessed with yelling and hatred and death. Evangelism is proclaiming love and life through word and action in the name of Jesus for a world that is obsessed with yelling and hatred and death. Evangelism is proclaiming love and life even though some may not be willing to hear it. The women go and tell the apostles and they do not believe them. And evangelism is not just the work for a few. It is for all of us. All of the women in the empty tomb go to their homes and their lives and evangelize the risen Christ. They do this because the angels had blessed and commissioned them all for this holy work. Church, we need to remember that we are baptized and blessed and commissioned for this holy work as well. As baptized children of God, we are blessed and commissioned to evangelize love and life for the glory of Jesus. Later in our worship, after I get done, uh, we're going to take a moment and we're going to come forward and you see bowls sitting up in the front. We're going to take a moment to respond to this Easter message that we've received uh, this morning and we're going to remember our baptism. And I'm going to say more about what that means a little bit later. And as we do, though, as we remember our baptisms this morning, I want us to know that all of us are blessed and commissioned for the holy work of evangelism. Maybe you think you're not, but I want you to, I want you to challenge that thought in your brain. We get to join God in the heaven-pulling effort. We get to share the story of Jesus so that all might be in relationship with him. We get to invite people into this Easter story to stand in the empty tomb and experience the power of the resurrection of Jesus. Easter is many things, but it is not business as usual. I hope that your Easter is not business as usual. It should change everything about us. It beckons us into a resurrected life. It opens us up to be in relationship with a living Christ. It blesses and commissions us to proclaim love and life. So let's not pretend like we can live the same way 
tomorrow the way we did yesterday. Easter should change everything. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has been raised. Glory be to God. Amen.